is Thomas Croner. I'm an attorney on behalf of the client here with me, Martin Alvarez. We are speaking, not speaking, in relation to uh, consideration of appeal line E. Um, just quickly in response to what ready to comply. Uh, while he did not uh, touch at all on the merits of our arguments at the initial or the appeal, he did point out that some of the information we provided was not provided uh, within timely consideration of the initial decision. That is because that information uh, we did not have at the time. We think that it is in the interest of justice for all the information related to my client's tendency to be considered. Thank you. Are there any other members of the public in the room wishing to provide comment at this time? If so, please approach the podium to provide your comment. So now that all members of the public in the meeting room have been given the opportunity to provide their comment, we will open up public comment opportunities for members of the public attending the meeting remotely. The remote public comment call-in instructions are posted with the agenda located on the Rent Board's website at sf.gov slash rentboard in the commission section, <coughs> changed slightly since the last board meeting. While you may view the meeting using the link located on the website, the agenda, and remote meeting access information, remote public comment may only be given by dialing in on the phone. The phone number to call into the meeting to give public comment is 415-655-0001. You will then enter access code 2607-276-9758, press pound, and press pound again. You will hear the meeting as you wait on the line. You will then dial star and three to enter the public comment queue. You will then hear you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. Please make sure that you are in a quiet location and that all computers, phones, and TVs around you are muted so there is no echo sound while you speak. You may then give your comment. To withdraw your question, dial star and three again and you will hear you have lowered your hand. When your three minutes are up, staff will so indicate and your line will be muted. You will be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you, unless you disconnect. You may stay on the line if you wish to speak during another public comment opportunity. Rent Board staff member Diana Flores will be operating the phone system today. I will be keeping time. When your time is up, you should hear a timer ringing. Time will be called and you as the caller will be muted. Ms. Flores, do we have any callers raising their hands in the queue wishing to provide public comment? Yes, we have one caller in the queue. Thank you. Can you please allow the caller? Caller, you will have three minutes. Good evening, commissioners. My name is Anna Herrera, and I'm a legislative aide to District 9 Supervisor Hillary Ronan. I'm calling in tonight on behalf of Supervisor Ronan regarding item E on consideration of appeals 
uh, unit 3024 San Bruno Avenue, number B, a unit located in our supervisor, supervisorial district nine. I believe the evidence before you and as the tenant's attorney, Mr. Croner elaborated already demonstrates that there are substantive legal issues that merit a rehearing of this case, including failing to recognize a landlord's acceptance of money orders by tenants, as was the case here. And I'm aware of the tough cases that often come before you and the decisions you weigh between well-meaning individuals on both sides of housing disputes. I'm calling in tonight on behalf of Supervisor Ronan to highlight the larger policy implications in cases like this one where a tenant who is a domestic violence survivor is subject to an unlimited rent increase solely because a domestic violence restraining order was issued against their abuser who happened to live in the unit first. This has a significant impact on low-income survivors of domestic violence like the tenant in this case who lived in the unit for over 20 years. Her partner, who had a domestic violence restraining order issued against him after a violent incident in their home, had to leave the unit. And the tenant, who is also a DV survivor, collaborated with authorities, including the district attorney's office, and immediately began paying rent for the unit herself. She's committed to doing so moving forward, but can't pay the higher rent increases she's being subjected to. Uh, Ms. Alvarez, the tenant here, and other people experiencing domestic violence shouldn't be forced to make the choice of withstanding abuse or face displacement. And this larger issue highlights the additional need for a rehearing to consider the facts and legal questions more closely. And I hope you'll consider this and accept the appeal. Thank you. Thank you, Paula. Ms. Flores, are there additional members of the public uh, in the queue appearing remotely that would wish to provide remote public comment? There are no additional callers at this time. Okay, so uh, members of the public appearing remotely, we are in the first of two public comment call-in periods this evening. Um, there will be an opportunity to provide comment after the consideration of appeals. Um, so we will give it just one moment uh, to see if there are additional members of the public uh, wishing to provide comment. And um, if you would like to provide comment and you're appearing remotely, you must dial in on the phone, 415-655-0001, um, and then you would enter access code 2607-276-9758-pound-pound, and then you would dial star three to raise your hand to provide, uh, to indicate uh, to staff that you are wishing to raise your hand to provide comments. Ms. Flores, are there additional members of the public in the queue uh, wishing to provide comment at this time? No, not at this time. Okay, we'll give it just one brief moment. And thank you everyone for your patience. And Ms. Flores, just a, a last confirmation, have any members of the public uh, in the queue raised their hand wishing to provide remote comment at this time? No, not at this time. 
Thank you so much for confirming. So we will go ahead and close the first of two public comment opportunities this evening. Again, uh, members for members of the public uh, appearing both in person and remotely, there will be another opportunity to provide comment um, after the consideration of appeals. Thank you so much. At this point, I'd like to ask for approval of the minutes. I'll move. Second. Any additions, subtractions, comments? Being none, ask for the vote, please. Thank you so much. A motion to approve the minutes of April 11th, 2023. Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. Commissioner Crow? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Tom? Aye. Commissioner Sawney? Abstain. And Commissioner Hum? Aye. Thank you. The minutes have been approved. We now will commence the uh, consideration of appeals. Item number six. Do you need to repeat yourself or do we go one by one? Yeah, we can do it. Because they're all in order. Okay. Uh, item A, uh, 455 Eddy Street, apartment 203. Uh, Commissioner Wasserman uh, has requested to be recused. Yes, I, I don't know if this, but uh, for the next three, I, I'm recused. So I'd go out and stay out the whole time for that. So for the Is record, okay? anybody is objective. Okay so for the blanket, record, uh, I'll go Mr. Wasserman is recusing yeah. items A, a B, B, and C. C. If you could please, Commissioner Wasserman, at this time, state yes. the reason for each recusal for items A, uh, B, and C. So for item A, 455 Eddy Street, 203, I filed a notice with the Ethics Commission. Uh, I represent Mosser companies on unrelated matters. I have nothing to do with this case, but Mosser companies is a client. For 4844 Shotwell A, I'm sorry, that would be B. Um, I represent the management company, Cybus Management. So I thought there was a conflict that filed with such with the Ethics Commission. And lastly, uh, for item C, 795 Geary Street, number 404, uh, Stanford Apartments. I represent both the owner and the property management company, albeit I have nothing to do with this matter. So those are my basis. I will excuse myself for the near term. Thank you. Thank you. Staff will alert Commissioner Wasserman when it's time to return to the room after the consideration of item C, 795 Geary Street, 404. Thank you. Okay, we will now continue with the appeals. Item A, 455 Eddy Street, apartment 203. The tenant's petition claiming an unlawful rent increase was dismissed due to their non-appearance at the hearing. On appeal, the tenant states they were unable to appear due to a last minute work conflict. Move to Brian Bridgecar, Commissioner Bridgecar. Second. That motion. Yeah, I, 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 I'm discouraged when you have things like this. We have all kinds of requests, uh, uh, but uh, here they couldn't even have the courtesy of calling the, the, the office to say that they can't make it here. They just blew us off and um, just need to make that comment. It's not, not respectful. Any further comments? 
Call for the vote. A motion to accept the appeal and remand the case for a new hearing. Should the tenants again fail to appear absent extraordinary circumstances, no further hearings will be scheduled. Commissioner Crow? Aye. Commissioner Sawney? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Tom? Aye. And Commissioner Hong? Aye. Okay, the uh, hearing will be uh, uh, re-noticed and the tenants and, and owners will receive a notice through the rent board. We move to item B, 884 Shotwell Street, by item A, the tenant's application for deferral of a capital improvement pass-through due to financial hardship was denied. The administrative law judge found that the tenant did not qualify for relief from payment of the pass-through after April 1st, 2022, because the tenant's total rent was less than 33% of the tenant's monthly gross household income. On appeal, the tenant contends that her income is inconsistent and less than the amount stated in the decision. Move to deny. A second. Any comments? I, I would like to comment on that one. I don't agree with the motion to deny this um, on a few grounds. Uh, First, I think the intent of financial hardships is to recognize that there are hardships that are being experienced by tenants to make sure that they stay in their units that are subject to the rent ordinance. If it is in this case that a tenant, uh, their, their financial uh, situation does change is well within the means for them to, uh, to bring this up as a financial hardship issue. Uh, in this case, their financial situation did change their gross income did change. Their gross income changed actually extremely close to the allowable limit it would be that it would be, the hardship would have been accepted. Uh, that to take into consideration the proximity of the hardship in terms of the actual threshold, to take into consideration the time of staff to have to do over an entire case, but more, uh, I, would, I would argue more uh, efficiency of this action would be to remand it to take into consideration the new financial situation, but actually, I would say the truer financial situation that the, that the tenant has uh, that's closer to reality. Okay. Any further comment? I'm looking at a very detailed calculation, and we're just talking about math. Um, the guideline was set at 33% and I don't think we can just freely change that uh, that's been set before. So I'm not convinced that that uh, just because it's close to something that it should be allowed. That isn't what I'm arguing. If we're talking about just simple math, uh, the tenant has stated that the income that they get for subletting their apartment uh, for a subtenant uh, while it was assumed to be a certain number in reality because they're unable to fill that vacancy, vacancy that number is not really longer adequate. Um, the pay stubs that they provided to show that their income uh, uh, while it was projected to be one number in reality because of the reduced number of hours that they have is no longer as, as is no longer accurate. 
So the circumstances, the financial circumstances that are stated within this case are actually no longer being represented in what reality is. Hence why it makes, it makes sense to accept, to recognize that the tenant financial situation has changed, which makes it that makes, makes sense for us to remand it to actually have be close to what reality is. There were assumptions that were made when this was first made uh, that the tenant has, has corroborated. And I think it's now different now. So I guess the question that I had is why isn't why is why isn't ALJ Proudfoot wrong that we should just affirm or deny the appeal and then have the person filing the merchant application? See that last why why wouldn't they just file the merchant application? Isn't that perspective? Isn't that what the it's the error in so we're talking, why, why, why don't they just file another hardship application? I, I mean, I would just, so I, my first, my argument would be that just it'd be more efficient that we just don't do it that way. Um, I think it would just be an undue work on this on the capacity of the staff. It'd be undue burden on someone who is stated to experiencing a financial hardship to be further out in their hardship. Uh, I think it would be against the actual tenor of what a hardship is and what the, and what the tenor of the, of the rent ordinances as we do is the intent is to protect tenants and to, and to protect tenants from being um, from, being, from undue uh, financial pressures. I, I find this, that we have rules and re regulations that, that uh, have a path to follow and for a purpose. Um, a hearing officer uh, is able to take all of this out and uh, render a decision. And there is uh, uh, the opportunity for uh, the tenant to, uh, to if things has changed to come back and that's the person that makes that decision is the hearing officer and their recommendations they make we're falling into a set pattern that allows the uh, the, the proper procedures it's not for us as a commission to arbitrarily to change that that process so is there staff precedent for this meaning will we ever demand on a prospective basis starting for example in December 10th, 2022 or something? Or do we just, what's the typical path? Um, we could do that. I mean, I think it's the decision found that for the year of 2022, the tenant did not qualify. And I guess because not enough of 2023 had happened at the time, it wasn't really possible to tell if she was gonna qualify in 2023, but um, Please don't open that door. I mean, that <laughs> that is just unbelievable. That 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 would rem would go through our process where dates can be changed uh, prospectively. So, I mean, you have two options. But any hardship relief granted would just be prospective from the date the new hardship application was filed. Couldn't go back if a new petition was filed. You could remand the case for the ALJ to reconsider, you know, for this period of time for which hardship was denied, whether there were extraordinary circumstances that justify uh, a deferral, right? Um, or you could remand the case just for the ALJ to look for some specific period of time after the hearing for which we have no real evidence. Okay, so I, I think I, I will agree with the landlords on this. I think that I, I think she was following it prospectively. So I'll join your motion. 
So I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing. I will sure. join your motion. Okay. Any further comment? Call for the vote, please. Can I just have, sorry, one more clarification sure. from ALJ um, Kumas. So, uh, clear it up for me. If we were to um, deny this appeal, and the tenant would have to come back and just submit another financial hardship, the, the financial hardship decision that was denied, uh, they would not be able to appeal that previous decision. It couldn't overlap, right? It couldn't ask for deferral for a period that overlaps with our determinations in the prior decision. But so, for example, if they filed a new petition today, and sorry, new hardship application today, we could grant potentially relief for the period. Yeah, right. Twenty twenty-three, or would it be more beginning in June twenty-twenty-three for the whole year? Yeah. Right, because the last decision only lived through 2022. Yeah. So it's the same relief. Sounds like it's the same relief. Okay. Any further comment? Call for the vote, please. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Tom? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Crow? No. Commissioner Sawney? No. And Commissioner Hong? Aye. The uh, hearing officer's decision stands, and the motion of uh, the appeal has been denied. Item C, 795 Geary Street, apartment 404. The tenant's appeal was filed approximately two and a half years late uh, because she claims she's been litigating other matters with the property manager. Move to deny. Second. Comments? Call for the vote. A motion to deny uh, the good cause claim. Commissioner Tom? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Crow? Aye. Commissioner Sawney? No. And Commissioner Tom? Aye. Seven and nine, 795 Geary, the uh, appeal has been denied. And if we could call Commissioner Wasserman, please, back in. Okay, we go to item D twenty three sixty five O'Farrell Street, apartment number nine. The tenant's petition alleging decreased housing services was denied. The administrative law judge found that the tenant failed to meet their burden of proving that the lack of certain features in the replacement parking space or the landlord's refusal to provide a digital access code to one building entryway constituted a substantial decrease in housing services. 
The tenants appeal arguing in part that they had a reasonable expectation that the landlord would prove provide use of the water spigot and electrical outlet in the replacement parking space because the original parking space contained these features and these features were present in the replacement parking spot at the time they agreed to relocate. I would move to deny. Second. Any comments? Yes, uh, I look at this uh, through perhaps a different lens. Um, and to the extent that we are able to decide on the basis that suggesting that we decide, uh, what I see here is that you have, particularly with regard to the electrical service, uh, that is uh, not provided in the garage number three. You have a situation where you have a tenant, the tenant's child in a wheelchair who actually needs that service to charge his wheelchair. And again, if we're dealing with, uh, you know, this, this has a substantial decrease in services, do we do we consider the needs of the disabled person? I'm fairly sure that another that a complaint elsewhere might do that, and uh, I'm wondering if we should be uh, sort of uh, thinking that way as well. And, and and maybe we maybe we even can't given our charter, but in this case, you have what really could be construed as a uh, as a, a, a reasonable accommodation with no undue burden by the way i would say i agree with you insofar as if the resident were to say listen i want to install these uh, electrical outlet or you know continued water service due to a disability the owner has to permit a reasonable modification you can argue over who pays for it but uh, that absolutely, without question, would have to be allowed. But in this instance, we go back to you know our our charter and what were the confines of of, of the uh, substantial decrease in a promised or contracted for housing service. And I don't see it here. I agree with the LK. I understand what you're saying. I was I'm, you know I I don't know to the extent that we can consider the needs of the tenant with respect to their sort of expectation of service, but uh, I, so I do understand that. But I'm wondering if there, you know, if there is any leeway uh, in this case. I, I'm not clear. Sure. Yeah, I, I just go to page 10, lines 21 through 24. It wasn't part of the deal, uh, express or implied of, of the uh, lease agreement. Well, I would argue that that's. Uh, First of all, you had they, they had the, they had this the, the landlord took away their contract. Okay, so they had this so-called contract. I don't know that that's really dispositive to the issue of a deep of uh, a, uh, a loss of service either. Um, but if we're just getting into the, the sort of what value is, again, understanding. But as Commissioner Wasserman, right, that it's less an issue of 
if we accept that as part of the bargain for exchange or the non bargain for exchange, meaning the expectation wasn't identified. Then is he right that it's simply a function of who pays for the installation or who pays for the accommodation. Moving forward, because if so, then that seems it's not a substantial decrease in housing. It's a future fix. Is that what you're saying? What I'm saying, yeah, I, I'm saying, you know, what, what the law mandates, which is if, if they were to come forward and say, I need this because of my disability, the owner has to permit installation, reasonable modification to the premises. No question about that. Um, there is, I mean, I'm not even clear necessarily, and neither are the regs in the case law on who pays for it. Typically, the cost fall on the tenant, but there are some hardship exemptions where. Uh, owners in rental property, especially residential property, have been uh, asked to bear those costs, but that's on a case by case basis. And maybe that applies here, maybe it doesn't. I don't. I was persuaded by the references to the fact that there were modifications to the agreement that didn't include this, meaning they had the opportunity to modify the agreement to require this, and they didn't. So it's not part of the bargaining for exchange. Now, it can be part of the future of bargain for exchange, or they can request it, but as a substantial de decrease in housing service, I can see. I, I kind of like to call out the addendum to the lease agreement, the resolute lease agreement that they had for garage space number four. Uh, just that uh, the tenant is allowed to install an automatic garage door with remote control. I think if that use is, is provided, that it's, it's implied. That there is electrical uh, use that's allowable to be accessed in the space, and the tenant has access to electrical um, to an electrical outlet in that space. So I would say that with the absence of having electricity ran there, how could this how could this agreement be fulfilled with electricity being provided to them? So you know, it's, it's up to us as commissioners to, to, to come up with that solution. I think what I'm, I think what I'm saying is that there, uh, that there was electricity provided in the previous unit within the previous uh, garage space. Uh, there's not electricity provided in this space. The tenant is operating it to the assumption that they were entitled to have electricity as they also are implying that they're entitled to have uh, active water. Uh, so I'm saying that in this agreement, it is still stated that they were that, that they had the right to install an electrical door opener, implying I don't think it's too far fetched of a concept to imply that there would have been electricity ran to that door opener for it to operate. So what I'm saying is I think there is some lapse in terms of what should have been provided to the tenant at that point. So yeah, I think it's not the hearing officer. The hearing officer heard all the evidence, came up with a decision, and, and we have three choices. We either accept it before us, or we remand it back uh, for, for, for changes or if something is wrong. Or the third one is to, uh, um, what is the third one? The third one's uh, uh, to grant the- uh, Understandable, and I, and, I, and I advocate that we should remand this case based off of, of the reading of the uh, addendum to the uh, lease agreement. Stating that there was a use that was implied uh, in terms of getting access to electricity to their new, to the new uh, garage space, and that should be up for consideration. Let me just add, and was saying the, ten, the sentence in question is tenants are allowed to install an automatic garage door, right? Yes. Well, yeah, tenants are allowed to install. They can install it if they want. 
I mean, that's the goes to the reasonable modification uh, uh, argument too. In that uh, tenants want to install it, they can install it. It's not an owner service. I think the, the providing of electricity is an owner service. Well, all right. Any further comment? And the, and the existence of electricity to that space is an owner service. It's implied that it's implied that there would be electricity that's that's in that space to grant a use, like having an automatic electric door opener, but to not provide electricity. I think it's, it's a it's a it's it's a boundless claim. Just there's there's no backing to it. But to, to say this use is allowable to have an electric door opener work, you need to have electricity. A couple of points. Tenant's not making that argument. That's a that sentence that appears in the addendum, but that's not an argument they're making. Secondly, the addendum says tenants are allowed to install an automatic garage door opener at remote control. And that's consistent with Commissioner Wasserman's point that they can install the garage door opener. So I'm still, I'm still not seeing. Any further comments? Please. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Wasserman? Aye. President Gruber? Aye. Commissioner Crow? No. Commissioner Sawney? No. And Commissioner Hum? Aye. The motion has been denied. And the hearing officer's decision is here. Next, we go to item E, 3024 San Bruno Avenue, Apartments B. The tenant's petition alleging an unlawful rent increase under the Costa-Hawkins Rental Housing Act was denied on remand pursuant to the landlord's appeal. The administrative law judge found that a rent increase was authorized because the original occupant vacated and the tenant petitioner is a subtenant who moved in after the tenancy commenced. The tenant appeals the decision and asserts that the administrative law judge misjudged the evidence and that she is a co-tenant and not a subtenant because the landlord accepted her rent payments. So I, I, I know there's some attention to this matter, so I want to discuss it, but I start my analysis on page 17 of the decision. Uh, lines, uh, if we could go lines 11 through 17, where the ALJ, after participating in the hearing or conducting the hearing, found the credible testimony of Nancy Alvarez and Danielle Reese and the declaration of Damian Alvarez established that Damian moved in at the inception of the tenancy, but Martha, who did not sign the lease, did not move in until four to six months uh, later after the tenancy had begun. So uh, we, we've had this issue many times and, you know, it's been found that if you move in a couple of days after the inception of the tenancy, you're probably an original occupant. There's no finite rule about when that cuts off. So I've had cases where maybe two weeks, yes, but two to four months, that's a different story. Four to six months. Sorry, did I read that wrong? Four to six months. Yeah. I mean, that's thank you. That's 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 a long time. There's a lot of rent payments that so go forward in for a four to six month period. That's true, but, and I don't know that that's the best argument to uh, for the for the tenant anyway. I mean, we have a we have a six point one four issue where the landlord continued to accept the rent for quite a long period of time, and and 
I think it's it's uh, it can be established that the landlord did accept the rent. In fact, the subsequent occupant handed it to the landlord in each case. Landlord never refused the rent, and uh, and by that action, uh, in, in Rule Six Point One Four, the landlord waived the rent because he he accepted it, and uh, and this tenant will have protection as a co-occupant. That's the issue here. And so I don't think we have a motion, but I, that's why I would move uh, to remain and and to and to state that the tenant is a co-occupant and, and therefore uh, entitled to stay in the unit and pay the pay the rent with whatever increases. I assume you're talking about. Page 18 and 19, bottom of 18, bottom yeah. of 19, where it talks about the money earners. I, I mean, somebody in this business, it's it, say, you know, you get into this gotcha realm. Now, clearly, if if there's a situation where under the cost of Hawkins, the last original occupant notifies management that they're leaving and the owner or management thereafter accepts rent from the subtenants knowingly, that is a waiver. But that's not this at all. I, I I don't I don't see the difference. The fact is is that uh, that even and even the ILJ speaks to the issue with being somewhat unsolved when he speaks to when he speaks to the issue the, the six point one four issue and he says that it's up to the rent board to decide if substantial evidence supports. And, and and because it's hinging on accepting the rent, um, I think that I think that uh, the decision should be remanded with instructions to find for the tenant. Well, first of all, Commissioner, this is not a six fourteen case. It's cost of office. I know. Uh, so in six fourteen, if you serve a proper six fourteen notice, you're allowed to then accept rent from. Uh, the subsequent occupant. Which was didn't happen. One right? of the many reasons I disdain yeah. 14. Right. This is a pure class of Hawkins case. So the issue becomes what's their waiver? And the statute's pretty clear on that. Waiver occurs when you accept rent after receiving written notice from the last original occupant. It could have been drafted better. We all agree on that. We've had that laugh for the last 25 years, but but you know it it doesn't but, but how long do you accept? Two, three, four years? My I mean, point this is, is the, this is the problem here. I think we have a situation where uh, the tenant could reasonably assume that she had acquired tenancy status because she'd been paying these guys for what? Two years, three, more than two years. And that, you know, and that combined with the fact that if, if we're speaking and and well, well, six point one four doesn't directly sort of uh, couch it this way. We're you know we're speaking direct dealings with the landlord. How direct does it have to be when you're going to the landlord every month and handing them a rent check? Isn't that pretty direct?
Well, the other issue that we have here is that the money orders were not cash until months after the effective date of the Costa Hawkins notice. And we've held here many times that once notice is served, then you can't accept rent from the subsequent occupant. But the, uh, but the uh, tenant argues, and I think persuasively, using the EDC case, that uh, it doesn't matter whether, the, whether the, they held the checks or not. They, if they were not going to accept them, what's the what's sort of the logical thing you do if you're not going to accept the rent? The tenant walks up to you and you hands you the rent, and you say, "No, I'm not going to take it." And that didn't happen here. And it didn't happen here for quite some time. I I don't. Uh, so I'll confess I was confused by this one. <laughs> I totally understood the idea of non-waiver and or that the issue that I guess your person's name was Damien, that um, the credibility issue as to whether he used the original occupant, so all that made sense to me. It was this issue with respect to receipt of the money orders that confused me. I understand that the LJ said, hey, you received the money orders, but there's no proof that you cashed it or whatever. I follow that. So um, what is what is the path out of this? Is there a path out of this? Speaking on behalf of staff, I'll just say, and this is a really complicated case, right? So you have almost every element of the Costa Hawkins analysis, every fact is in dispute. So there's a lot of issues here. But just speaking to um, the the payment of rent by the tenant for that one month in July before the rent increase notice was served. Right, we see this in most every Costa Hawkins case where a landlord serves. Uh, you know, there's there's a period of time a landlord must give a, a 60 or a 90 day notice before a Costa Hawkins rent increase notice goes into effect. And we've historically kind of allowed a landlord to um, accept the lesser or the old rent during that time period, provided they've served a rent increase notice. You know, kind of um, to reserve their right to the higher rent. So that was the issue: was the fact that the landlord had accepted rent from the tenant for that period, you know, didn't act as a waiver to their right to the to the to the uh, to the increased rent later on. Um, so the other issue here, though, is you know the the fact that the tenant, I guess, continued to pay the old rent for many many months, right? During this COVID period, when the landlord claims that they were uh, barred from pursuing the unpaid rent because of the eviction moratoriums, and whether the landlord's kind of uh, you know the, the the deferred kind of period here for the, the, the landlord wasn't pursuing the unpaid rent, whether that itself acted as a a waiver of the landlord's right to the increase. Well, we have a 396 argument as well. I mean, during the last three years, we weren't supposed to uh, issue rent increases above 10%, arguably, because of the states of emergency. I mean, that never was settled. And we've gone back and forth a zillion times. Uh, only now, I think people are comfortable with issuing 90 day notices. Uh, but that certainly wasn't the case uh, a year ago. But that's not, I mean, I don't think that that's the focus of the argument here. I think it's a simple uh, situation where the landlord continued to accept rent from the tenant over a period of years. And there fell into this, uh, into this definition that, that in uh, 6.14 that 
they waived the right to vote in and uh, and the subsequent well and and they made a if it wasn't a direct representation to the to the client that they were uh, accepted as a tenant it certainly was an implied one because of this continued acceptance of rent uh, I, I think that 6.14 applies here and that in fact the tenant is a core I'll leave with two points. One, Plaza Hawkins supersedes and supplants 614. I don't I mean, I, I'll argue that um, it does. Number two, if these were, if the last three years were a regular three years, I might agree with you in some respects, but we were all having to do different things and, and make certain allowances because of the pandemic. It seems to me that in the pandemic, you wouldn't probably be accepting hand payments from the tenant magazine. I mean, I don't see where that has anything to do with anything. Talking about acceptance of rent. Well, well affirmative <laughs> acceptance. Thank you. Uh -huh. We have a uh, trial court decision that's not binding on anybody, but. Uh, Whatever for department 501 has made it very clear. There's only one path to waiver for cost offices. And that was actually from a rent board case, but it never went up on appeal, so it only applied to that one rent board case. Yeah, well, they nobody appealed it. One of my case. But uh, you know, waiver is effectuated after receiving written notice from the last regional occupant and thereafter accepting the rent. That didn't happen here. It seems to me that like that's exactly it. Where's the writing? Where's the I'm leaving? Where's that? Where's that? What's that? The written notice from the from the from the tenant that they were going to pay the original tenant. Yeah. So I'm it's sympathetic to the landlord. The, sympathetic. To the no, no, no. What's that? I'm sympathetic to the landlord for the reasons that um, that you're noting. That Commission Watchman is noting. Um, I think it's credibility determination as to whether she was an original occupant. She wasn't an original occupant. And then with respect to the waiver, the LJ said no waiver. And we have been dealing with a extenuating circumstance of the, of the pandemic. And so I think it makes sense that there was a waiver in this case. Do we have a motion? Yeah, but it wasn't seconded. I moved to remand. Second. And then to find that the tenant, uh, the, the rent increase was in. Or I'm Pardon me, Commissioner Sawney, you said you just seconded the motion? I did just second the motion. Thank you. Is there any further comment? Call the vote. Pardon me, President Gruber. Commissioner Crow, can you please repeat your motion? Uh, there was a motion to remand the case to find that uh, the cost of pockets already increase is is not a lot. Is that the final motion? I think there were some other things. I just wanted to make sure I had that correct. Say that again. Was that is that the final motion? There were some other things that you had. No, that's that's not okay.
A motion to remand the case to the administrative law judge to find that the cost of Hawkins rent increase is invalid. Commissioner Crow. Aye. Commissioner Sawney. Aye. President Cooper. No. Commissioner Wasserman. No. And Commissioner Hahn. No. The motion fails. I would move to deny. Second. Any uh, discussion? Call for the vote, please. Motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Wasserman. Aye. President Gruber. Aye. Commissioner Crow. No. Commissioner Sawney. No. And Commissioner Kong. Aye. The appeal is denied and the hearing officer's decision stands. We move to item F, 1401 San Bruno Avenue. The landlord filed a petition seeking certification of capital improvement costs for exterior painting, new stairway landings, and sidewalk and curb repair work. The administrative law judge certified most of the exterior painting and stairway landing costs, but disallowed some of the landlord's claimed uncompensated labor hours for work related to a prior painting project and for time spent traveling to procure materials. The decision found that the sidewalk and curb repair work did not meet the definition of a capital improvement and held that the landlord was required to give the tenants a 90-day notice for rent increases exceeding 10%. On appeal, the landlord contends that all of his claimed uncompensated labor and the work to repair the sidewalk and curb are capital improvement costs and should have been certified. The landlord further argues that the general obligation and water bond pass-throughs should not be considered for the purpose of determining whether a rent increase notice exceeds 10%. Vote to deny. I second that motion. It, uh, it's interesting. We don't know. We haven't had for a long time where we have someone who's doing the work themselves and so they have uncompensated and uh, the, the salaries and, and, and then also um, uh, as someone who's really um, uh, an independent on his own owner um, working with our rules and regulations and, and ordinance. Uh, to come up with a, uh, a capital improvement pass-through. Um, the, the work that this individual did, uh, I found commendable. It, I think he brought the cost of the repairs and the work done uh, down to a level that was to the benefit of the tenant. Um, it, uh, it, it, it demonstrated, uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was amazing to see that they were using, I guess we were using at that time, $32 per hour. Uh, for the uncompensated work and i can tell you that in my business i'm not under 50 or 60 dollars an hour for anyone doing uh, minor repairs and and so the, the end result i thought was very beneficial what i, what I wanted to ask the staff was was the, the sidewalk it was determined that that they utilized a 50 percent rule um is that correct in stating that i, I was unable to find that in print that where it says 50%. It isn't in print, but it's been, I guess, our process for many years is to consider more than 50% of the sidewalk has to be replaced to be considered a capital improvement. 
that that's just the way we've kind of looked at it because we get you know a few squares to the whole sidewalk and had to come up with something so that's what we we've been using and this goes way back to the joe grumbling yeah uh, it's been the board's policy that you know with sidewalk work we had a 50 percent you know or more rule in terms of uh, Sort of buying that cost as a capital, but it's not codified in, in the law. Okay. Because when you go to the the, the uh, uh, rules and regs that were quoted in the in decision one point three and in seven point whatever, uh, it uh, there is no uh, uh, reference to to something like that. The sidewalks, sidewalk. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've had to deal with this uh, before us. And, I felt that there's someone that really made a, you know, a strong effort uh, to uh, um, actually bring in uh, some some very uh, uh, competitive bids to get all this work done, and to say no, it seemed that uh, it, it it didn't it, it didn't seem right. I'll just say, I mean, we have a similar rule from other types of capital improvement work, so replacement of stair treads. We look at did they replace 50% or more. You know, there's a lot of other types of work where we've implemented that rule just for the sake of consistency. And I'll tell you, most of the uh, people who are regular routine capital improvement filers are aware of these rules. Um, so, you know, we had, there is a long history of us using those rules, but it's absolutely up to the board to decide if you want to make that change. See, last part. What? It's it's up to the commission to decide if you want to change that policy, but we have had we have had that rule for many many years. Well, I'm always happy to leave it up to the discretion of the hearing officer when they have it. I mean, this sidewalk wasn't small; it's a, it's a fairly significant. So 50% wasn't a minor uh, undertaking. So uh, um, I don't know my my. I'll, I'll let this. Uh, the, the, we have a motion before us. And let's see where it goes. Um, but I would like to see this considered. I, I find that whatever this individual did was was beneficial in the in the process. And it's tough for someone to be reading that and not knowing that this. And, well, he, he he wouldn't been able to do anything that if the fifty percent was there. Um, but here he didn't know. So uh, whatever. Any further comment? Yeah. Uh, call for the vote, please. A motion to deny the appeal. Commissioner Crow. Aye. Commissioner Sawney. Aye. President Gruber. No. Commissioner Wasserman. No. And Commissioner Hong. Aye. The uh, hearing officer's decision stands, and the appeal is denied. <laughs> This finishes the uh, consideration of appeals. And we move on to item number five, remarks from the public. Executive Director. Thank you, President Rivers. It is now time for the second of two public comment periods this evening. Both public comment periods tonight are for general public comment and for all items listed on the agenda. For all members of the public, whether appearing in person or remotely, General procedures have not changed. You will have three minutes to provide your comment. If you have an interpreter interpreting your comment, you will have six minutes. 
if you have requested a reasonable modification based on disability from staff prior to this meeting, your comment will not have a time limit. You are encouraged but not required to state your name for the record. If you're calling to speak or speaking in person regarding an item on the agenda, please state which item you are speaking about. Please note that anything you say during public comment cannot be used as evidence in regards to the item on which you are speaking. Once your time is up, staff will so indicate and you will be informed your time is up or your mic will be muted. As stated earlier, public comment from members of the public appearing in person will be taken first. Once all members of the public appearing in person have had the opportunity to speak, staff will open up public comment for members of the public appearing remotely. We will now go ahead and take comment from any members of the public here in the meeting room. So if any members of the public wish to address the commission, please approach the podium to speak. And you will have three minutes. I'm Miss Cyrus. I'm on item B. Um, this first is my favorite part. I'm going to have a bunch of things to get out of the I'm a resident of San Francisco for 18 years in the same apartment. I've been on Spanish, Portuguese, and English for 15 years. I work at San Francisco General Hospital. I, um, I, well, I continued uh, to be able to live. I became very ill and uh, it took time and it took um, time to hear it. And I know that you can see but then I raised my daughter on it myself. She's nine. And I said, the red across the year was 3%. And I could have My, I live in the situation. I have something. Um, she's also a low income, and during COVID, it's been nearly impossible to maintain roommates for the entire time. Uh, 
even after that, there was also a little bit of that brought up on the I'm not sure if you guys have had papers. But it's you know, way given to the fact that one for things for five more things would be more trying to do in terms of when things is in July. One, uh, they said that it's like one in bank or lower. Was barely tapped on and should once we didn't perhaps spoke it up once when you guys discussed the case. Pause on that. And one other last thing, while there were some protections against eviction for not payments, uh landlords could have gone after clients in civil cases as early as November 2021. They did not run their action, so in a few days of June 2022, that is session months of My name is Rotana Stratton. I have the uh, my case is uh, the address uh, 2365 first room at midnight. Um, I'm here today because um, I'm respectful uh, to the, the judge that is correct about the conclude about the tenant it did not meet the burden about because when I moved into the new garage, the, my landlord is um, take off the electric and water because then they the landlord are providing to the the tenant before that's why, and then um, the the landlord is uh, testifying in the hearing that they remove water and electric access from the grass. The new one number three after the agreement was signed on June 14 when they moved in 2019, and the landlord is testifying in the hearing that they release access to the grass space in the space 20. 19 permanent to remove and they have a like i said an eight-year disability two disabilities you know and then they took the old garage from the to the adu and now when i get the new one for them i lost space but i didn't ask for the space or the, the storage but when you take my service water and electrical away i should get the exact service as a time and they have a disability to the transfer and wheelchair for the 70 years old and then autistic child as now I'm doing for the induction for the rent. Thank you. You mean, um, I'm just going to I have the owner, of course, no one's that I'll have you. And uh, Mr. Green, you had it that uh, uh, I just, you know, I don't have, I have one building, a duplex in San Francisco, I own more than I have a lot of opportunities to interact with the rules and regulations of uh, our great city in concerning uh, rents. Um, but it's really convoluted, hard to get through. I have been trying to uh, have some ideas, suggestions that in the future I would want to put forward. But one that particularly affected me today, that was the federal building is how the square feet different, but it's a corner building. One side has multiple white sidewalk, usual sides, but the walls have a total sidewalk area of about 75 square feet or uh, street. But less than 200 square feet, I would place 127 feet. But more importantly, it was the curve 
the corporate fired the American excavation company that had the bond that could um, uh, uh, and then by the city if something goes wrong, or a general contractor has to pay $25,000 to be able to touch the curb. I mean, normally I would do a spot repair, and I have done it, even when there's a notice, but this was really difficult. Most the cheapest other estimate that I got was so I saved quite a bit of money, but it wasn't by accident. I called a lot of people and I reached out. I thought one day and it worked out for me, including the gentleman who had me the city contractor. So, in other words, that 50 percent rule, I mean, that's really arbitrary and it should be taken case by case, not as. That's, you know, it impacts people like me so unfairly. I mean, if I had to replace the whole site, I would have been well over $40,000. And, you know, passing that on to my parents. Uh, the other thing, too, regarding the capital uh, or the, the general obligation bond, I think the decision was based on a supervisor of revenue from 2003, and the identical language still exists. So if it is to apply that the remedies and should be fixed so that, you know, I mean, I don't have the money to pay for it to straighten these out. I go for what I need and as much research as I can do. So, you know, um, also not counting the painting of the stairs when I redid the bandies. I mean, it would have been different if I, if I would have just said bandies stairs. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, seriously, I mean, all. Fairness, and you guys are very balanced, so I appreciate that. But you know, there has to be a little bit more. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was very specific in my writings, and I don't understand why it was uh, so flatly rejected. But thank you very much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. So, why did you want to wrap it up? President of the city of 25 years old, I'm retired. But a lot of people are going to be GD at Shipyard. So a lot of people are going to come and show us the clean carpet of selling grapes. The reason I had to take care of it before you guys, I got beat up that. So now I got the day past the midnight. We're going to be a great answer. I can't hear about it. Let me speak about that. What do we have to say? What's important for you? I've been down there as far as I can see. You know, back in the day, they had a 30 day rule, and I got kicked out every day. I got kicked out every day one time. But, uh, really, listen to us, you get the feel of what it is. I don't think it's bad for us. Why do you taste? The land of the hotel, the Victoria Hotel plan, and they, quite frankly, don't care. They don't care. No matter what you do, uh, they don't care. I mean, five islanders who went to compromise and went to compromise, they wouldn't even be given time. No, 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 that is it. And they were different solutions. No, so you don't want to do this. It's going to take a long time. You're not going to get very good money. And he was right. He knew he was right. Uh, took quite a while um, due to some of my problems. Um, there were, there were 100 stairs I had to go through during the post-pandemic. Uh, I'll get them in a four-month period. I had to return that side. 
members of the public here in person wishing to provide comment. Hi, my name is Maria Villegas, um, line item A, and I spoke earlier, but I'm going to say thank you. Um, it's very new to me, and it's been very informative, and I just want to say thank you. I've learned a lot tonight. Now that all members of the public in the meeting room have been given the opportunity to provide their comment, we will open up public comment opportunities for members of the public attending the meeting remotely. The remote public comment call-in instructions are posted with the agenda located on the Rentboard's website at sf.gov slash rentboard in the commission section and have changed slightly since the last board meeting. While well, you may view the meeting using the link located on the website, the agenda, and remote meeting access information, remote public comment may only be given by dialing in on the phone. The phone number to call into the meeting to give public comment is 415-655-0001. You will then enter access code 2607-276-9758 press pound and press pound again. You'll hear the meeting as you wait on the line. You will then dial star and three to enter the public comment queue. You will then hear you have raised your hand to ask a question. Please wait to speak until the host calls on you. Please make sure that you're in a quiet location and that all computers, phones, and TVs around you are muted so there is no echo sound while you speak. You may then give your comment. Withdraw your question, dial star and three again, and you will hear you have lowered your hand. When your three minutes are up, staff will so indicate and your line will be muted. You will be moved out of the speaker line and back as an attendee in the meeting unless you disconnect. 
Renford staff member Diana Flores uh, will be operating the phone system today. And we will be keeping time here in the meeting room. When your time is up, you should hear a timer ringing. Time will be called and you as the caller will be muted. Ms. Flores, do we have any callers raising their hands in the queue wishing to provide public comment? No, there are no callers in the queue. Thank you. So again, members of the public uh, attending the meeting remotely, if you wish to provide comment, it is at this time that you may do so. This is the second of two public comment periods this evening. This is the last opportunity to provide public to the commissioners this evening. So if you wish to provide comment, please dial in to 415-655-0001, enter access code 2607-276-9758, press pound and press pound again. And you will then hear the meeting and you will dial star and three indicate to staff that you're wishing to provide comment. So we'll give it a moment in case there are any members of the public uh, joining for the first time calling in. And thank you uh, members of the public awaiting on the line, uh, watching remotely, also in the meeting room and uh, commissioners and staff for your patience. Ms. Flores, are there additional members of the public uh, who have indicated they wish to provide comment at this time remotely? No, not at this time. Okay, thank you so much. So seeing as that there are no members of the public uh, wishing to provide comment remotely uh, and have been given opportunity and that all members of the public in the meeting room have provided their uh, comment for the evening, we will go ahead and close the uh, second of two public comment periods this evening. Thank you, Ms. Flores. Thank you very much, uh, Executive Director. We now move on to communications. Thank you so much, uh, President Krueger. I mean, just one moment. Can I say something before we move to the agenda items before we leave our appeals? Is that a fine? Sure. Um, I, I just wanted to comment on uh, a few cases because, I, I mean, these are everyone's livelihood and homes. And I don't want to belittle the appealing the rulings that I hear that people have heard. Um, so to case B, um, I'm so sorry that the, the outcome wasn't what you wanted. Um, I'm looking at your appeal and I'm looking at you selling your wedding band. I'm looking at you selling your TV. I'm looking at you selling trying to live in the city. And I don't want to belittle your actions and the work that you put in today and that you put in for this past year to live in the city. Um, so I really encouraged you to follow another financial hardship. I, it was really close and I don't want to disregard that action at all. So, uh, I'm sorry, didn't, the outcome wasn't what you wanted, but I just want to recognize all the work that you're putting to live in the city and recognize that it's. The outcome wasn't what you want today, but I don't think you should give up. And then, um, to appeal number E, um, uh. I'm sorry, the outcome wasn't what you wanted as well today. Uh, there are some limitations, at least that we have in terms of how, how state law is interpreted. 
um, and we can work our best to do a good job to advocate for you. And I know uh, Commissioner Crow and I both feel that we will do our, continue to do our best to advocate in these cases. Um, thank you for just want to recognize the work, just you navigating a difficult situation with, with an abuser. Um, Okay. Just say, just show our appreciation to uh, being here today, um, and just recognizing the work that she's done. And I hope she stays in San Francisco as well. Okay, that's all. Thank you. Thank you. Executive Director Communications, please. Thank you, President Kruger. Thank you, Commissioner Snyder. Um, okay, so communications. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. This is Executive Director Christina Varner. Um, you should have received just one article from staff from the Sacramento Bee, and you'll also find workload statistics for March 2023 in your packets, as well as decision in SFA versus City and County of San Francisco, which was a spirit for case, not for communications. Is that it for communications? That is. Monthly workload and any comments on the decisions of SFAA versus CCSF for your report? Nothing. Uh, we continue to uh, item number eight being the director's report. Thank you, President Griffin. So, good evening again, Commissioners. This is Executive Director Christina Barnard. Um, so, it's it's pretty brief this evening. Um, operations continue as normal at the rent board, um, extraordinarily busy. <laughs> um, and uh, the department continues with hiring and recruitment and our MOVE project. Um, I'm very excited to announce that since our last meeting, we have hired a community analyst to coordinate the department's racial equity work um, and to work on important communications of the website and forms. So this is something we've been looking at hiring for quite some time. So we're very excited about that. Um, we have also, and so that is a, a current staff who was promoted into the position. Um, we've also seen a longtime counselor promote to an administrative analyst position within the public information unit. And we have also hired a new counselor uh, who I will is here with us this evening and I will introduce later. Um, in regards to outreach and Commissioner Sawney, we had uh, touched upon this briefly um, in your uh, uh, the last meeting when I know you were absent, unfortunately. Um, so staff are going to be participating in the San Francisco Apartment Association's uh, Landlord Expo this Thursday, May 16th. And following that, uh, the department will be engaging community partners in the city's cultural districts, uh, various nonprofit partners um, with whom we have been engaged previously and currently, um, and other community organizations about potential rent board outreach opportunities, as well as core rent board information about rights and responsibilities, including the housing inventory. So, Commissioner Sonny, I know you had identified and I had touched upon previously. Um, Reengaging in some some core outreach uh, or substantive law in addition to the housing inventory and 
and that is slated for the coming months. So thank, thank you, you for that input and um, staff had simultaneously realized that was really something that we didn't need to kind of get back to basics um, sort of in this post pandemic universe. So thank you so much also for supporting that work. Thank you for following up. Yeah, thank you. Um, so as well, I'm um, going to have to bring it up again. Sorry, keep bringing it up every meeting. Timely rent board fee payments were due March 1st, and payment now incurs a 15% penalty. Um, owners can pay via the rent board portal online at portal.sfrb.org or by mailing a check into the rent board's PO box or walking a check or cash payment into the treasurer and tax collector's office during business hours. No payments are accepted at the rent board's office. If owners have questions, they can contact 311. Um, owners who do not pay before June 1st will be delinquent and will have to pay their fee after receiving a notice of delinquency. And if they still don't pay, their unpaid obligation will be referred to the city's Bureau of Delinquent Revenue. So I just, you know, I can't emphasize enough. We uh, ran a, you know, a recent report and in the changeover with increasing the penalty on uh, May 1st, there were a very large number of owners who had not paid their fees. So, um, you know, everyone is speaking with their colleagues in the, in the property owner community, you know, encourage owners to, to pay their fees or they, they will unfortunately get that notice of delinquency and then be referred to BDR um, if the obligation is unpaid. Um, in regards to legislation, just briefly, um, Board of Supervisors file number 230, 260, the ordinance amending the administrative code to extend by 60 days the restrictions on evicting or imposing late fees on residential tenants who could not pay rent that came due during the COVID-19 emergency uh, was signed by the mayor on April 14th and into effect on May 14th. I'm rushing through this, I realize. <laughs> um, Happily, I would like to introduce Max Garcia, who is a new rent board specialist. Max is here in the audience with us this evening. Can we even say hello? Max. Um, Max is a rent board specialist, colloquially known as counselor in the public information unit. So um, I know that you see a new staff member practically every board meeting, um, and we are engaging in a lot of hiring and a lot of shifts in the department. Um, Max uh, has come into the department after a current staff have been promoted into a, a vacant position. So um, he is there to support the public information unit. Um, it's fantastic. He joins the public information unit uh, after working for nine years, I believe, pardon me if I'm wrong, uh, in property management and is a fluent Spanish speaker. Um, and Max has been a really great addition to the unit so far. So thank you so much, Max. Um, please welcome Max. We're so happy to have him. Um, and uh, there, there may be some other new staff joining at the June meeting as well. Thank you so much uh, for your support with that. And um, that is the director's report. Please let me know if you have any questions. Thank you. Thank you. We now move on to uh, old business. Business. I guess I'll go ahead and take that the uh, old business item A. So future of the board commission meetings, revised appeal procedures. So commissioners, um, this old business item A is relating to procedural changes that took place while we were meeting remotely only during the pandemic. So 
One of those procedural changes is that appellants and respondents to appeals were filing many documents at many different times by email prior to and up to the moment of board meetings. And it was found to be very cumbersome for both staff and the commissioners to keep track of. Um, and importantly, it became an issue for the commissioners who have had with adequately considering submissions arriving to the department at the last hour. Um, at the last meeting, staff provided information to the commissioners per their request uh, regarding making formal changes to the rules and regulations to enact clear deadlines around appeal document submission. And at the last meeting, the commissioners opted to uh, not create draft regulations, but rather requested that staff amend the wording on the appeal to the board form and provide a draft for review at this meeting. Um, so we have provided you that draft and um, I'm not sure if you've had the opportunity to take a look at it. Um, and you can see there have been some changes in the instructions. There are no changes to uh, page two, um, but it is, you know, staff awaiting your direction. If you would like to proceed with this version of the form or if you would like to take a look at it and let us know at the next meeting. It's really um, up to you. We're looking at item number two underlined. Underlined the sentence. Is so there are so there are several sentences that have been um, adjusted. Pardon me while I find my copy here. Thanks. I like that. It's, it's the five days. This is perfect. So um, we. I, I also would like to uh, credit staff. Experience these things as well and have um, engaged in sort of having having a difficult time maneuvering with, with the, the numerous um, email submissions that we've been receiving, and it's been you know quite challenging um, to uh, can we see manage. see five business days or five calendar days? I don't know. Uh, we can leave it at five specifications. Um, so typically, let's see, uh, legally. Uh, this meeting has to be agendized uh, 72 hours prior to the meeting. Um, and we give it a bit more time to allow the public to have an ample notice of the meeting. And, and that's the time when the meeting materials are really distributed as sort of the, the final meeting material. So there is ample time by um, the appellants to file and uh, the respondents to respond. And then, and then for the commissioners to be able to adequately consider the what was submitted. It's, it's very, very difficult to consider something that's submitted, you know, the afternoon prior and the commissioners can even go over, you know, a few hours before the board meeting or to get out of the board meeting. That's very difficult. So I think changing the language, um, this is this is permissible just to change language on the form. It's not giving a strict deadline, which would probably, you know, best practice. You'd have to enact a reg um, to enforce that. But this is a little bit of a construction. Well, that's good. Thank you. Now, this, this, we're talking about item two with the line underlined. Is the, uh... So it's actually there have been significant changes to uh, instructions one and two. Okay. Uh, so we kind of forwarded some things. Uh, we've had some real difficulties with email filing by email where submissions have been made by numerous email 
separate emails at one time and you can kind of keep track of what document belongs and, and how to collate what the person is trying to say and what they mean and you know what weight to give to each you sort of look at all these different things and then a group um, it's also very hard to um, receive large documents um, electronically given our, our current system um, so asking that the copies be brought in and actually if it's a larger document um, but it's 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 real just it's more instructional uh, and persuasive rather than hard rule, which would require to <coughs> some sort of rules and policies around, you know, late filings as well. So if there was something hard and fast. For, for the late uh, filing in, in item two, uh, uh, can we change the font? Boldman, the five days in the- uh, So for, for uh, number two, What's underlined? What's underlined? You would rather be bolded? No, I'm just suggesting. I think it, 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 is there are, are there any of these other things that the, the font should be uh, um, bolded in order to allow someone's eyes to be direct? We certainly bold language in many forms. President Gruber, you know, has mixed reception and mixed effect, but. Um, we can certainly bold that sentence rather than underline it. Or both. Are we able to scoff the crossbones there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I know she wants what's needed as was. Okay. Great. So if the commissioners would like to proceed, we can go ahead and, and put this appeal to the board form um, into use. You need a motion. No. I don't think we need a motion. This is just roll it. Roll it. Yeah. <laughs> a general suggestion. Thank you very much. I don't know. Thank you. Let's let's This is it. This is really, you know, really a lot of things um, at the Red Board take a village, you know, and I will credit um to Kathy Helton, who does so much work and you know, in the background regarding appeals. Have to give her a lot of credit onto the language since she's sort of day in day out engaged in that. Um, and her uh, colleagues here. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, oh, thank you. Appreciate this, it. This works for everyone. That works for your comment. I, I know that we're, I know that part of like the upgrade to the rent board is new systems, technologies, is the receiving of appeals part of that. Technology update or absolutely. So then, uh, as we assume that one that one that when gets will be on board with all that technology, the process and procedures might also get updated as follows, but still kind of stay the same. It will change. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely, and that's considered, you know, with all the rest of the filings. Okay. Yeah. And then, to my own understanding, what is the timing on? Uh, I guess to switch over to those new systems, or has that occurred already? That is not going to occur. Um, we are still uh, in the information gap, <laughs> and uh, we hope that in the next fiscal year we'll begin to um, start uh, looking for vendors and begin contacting for to um, enable a new system. Okay, and I'm sorry, this is for what? Uh, for a new a new filing system, like a direct online filing system. Yeah, which is, in, it, it's really, you know, we're having to look at a completely 
completely look at our business process workflow in order to determine how that system would work best for the public and for staff. So, okay. We're all excited. We are. We are. <laughs> our commission. Great. So we will, hearing that uh, you're in support of this draft, so we'll go ahead and put that into. Does that include A? That includes A. Then we'll move on to item B, uh, the proposed amendments to rules and regulations section 1010. And I think where we left off was that the city attorney was going to, or we requested the city attorney take a, a look at this and uh, opine what the proper attorney. Do we have any uh, uh, update? Okay, so we did reach out to the city attorney's office and uh, summarized the concerns that had been raised at the last board meeting and asked if they would do prepare a written memorandum as to the board's authority to uh, enact the, the, the new rules as proposed. Um, the city attorney, our understanding is, did on their own reach out to Commissioner Klein directly. And okay. Commissioner Klein had a conversation with the city attorney's office and uh, indicated that she intended to submit some sort of a new proposal. And the city attorney therefore wanted to wait until the new proposal was uh, introduced before they were to prepare a written amendment. Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, uh, let's uh, push it on to the next meeting. Uh, with the request that uh, Commissioner Klein uh, uh, submits uh, the uh, information uh, uh, requested, or what she's volunteered to 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 do. Okay. Okay. Thank you. A new business. Is, is this the IT fellow in the back here that takes care? Are you the one who takes care of us here? Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, one request. Can you put subtitle up on the screen here when people are talking? From the phone-ins or the people talking? Yeah, the acoustics are horrible. Yeah. I mean, if it's not something, I'm not looking for something huge, but the acoustics here are, are very, very uh, Yeah. So it's, it's tough, especially from the phone. Um, yeah, it, it is tricky here. Um, yeah, we can take a look at See, see um, that's an option. So. Fully who was here earlier. Okay. He is. This is what we does. It's, it's, we're going to be here for a while, aren't we? Do we have this room uh, basically? That's a, yeah. That's a, yeah. Well, let's dress it up uh, to help our uh, business. Mr. Crow, what do you think? Subtitles? Yeah. <laughs> okay, please. Um, with that, uh, any other new business? Uh, we move on to calendar items, please. Right, so the next regular meeting, 
one appeal consideration um, for next uh, month. My colleagues can correct me if that's incorrect. Um, so it looks like we have uh, concluded with old business item A, and uh, but old business item B, proposed amendments to rules and regulations section 1010 regarding tenant right to organize legislation uh, will be continued as an old, old business item on June 13th. Correct. Um, and President Gruber, uh, can you please uh, advise uh, what commissioner will be reading the Ramaytushal on land acknowledgement? <coughs> Um, that will be uh, a commissioner Klein. Thank you. And that's all. It's not your all. Oh, yeah, I'm happy to do it too. It, 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 it will be a facility. Uh, with that, uh, um, is there any further? Uh, Items to be considered. Uh, being none, uh, thank you all, and we are adjourned. Thank you. <laughs>